Have you been thinking about starting a podcast but aren't sure where to start? I have to tell you about Anchor. It's a free creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Not only that, but with literally one click, they distribute your podcast to platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more so you can reach more listeners. They make it so easy. It was a no-brainer for us. Try it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work because business is personal. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again this week. Today, we're going to talk about one of Matt's favorite topics, uh, the emotional quotient or your EQ. Most people have heard of the IQ, which is your intelligence quotient, but this is your emotional quotient. And when we talk about EQ, we are talking about a few different things. Uh, We're talking about self-awareness, empathy, social skills, self-motivation, and self-regulation. And while these things are difficult to measure, studies have shown that a high EQ is a key indicator of success. So Don, why don't we just jump right into this topic and you tell us a story about when you have seen a high or a low EQ at play. So when I was working in manufacturing, there was a big project that I was working with and they send a lot of times whenever you work in a big organization and you're working on a big project, they send lots of technical resources to you to work with you. And we had one person that was on our team who was known throughout the company as being absolutely one of the best uh, programmers in their field, was just fantastic at being able to program equipment, to be able to work really well, worked super fast, was really efficient, made very, very few mistakes, was just really, really easy. It just did a great, great, great job in their work. But when they sent this person out, the manager sent another person to go along with them. And I always thought it was kind of, I'm like, why is that other person with us? And so we, in our very first meeting, I was leading the project and we're sitting around the table and I was introducing everybody and we were going through everybody's and we started talking about a project and I said, okay, so how are we going to approach this, this project and how are we going to approach how this, this machine is going to run? And we started talking about it and I brought up a, an idea that I had about how we could run the machine. And this, this really brilliant programmer looks at me and he goes, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. And maybe while we're at it, we could take a time machine back to the 1880s and maybe we could make it run off of, a, of, of an old like fan or something and just make it run off of a water, you know, just, you know, we could, and he just got really like upset and was just, you know, your ideas are stupid and I don't know why you're even on this project. I mean, he just lost it, like wow. just lost it in the room. And everybody kind of looked like, whoa. And then the guy that was with him says, you know, I think what he's trying to say is, you know, there's other approaches that we could use for this. And he kind of softened the blow. And what we learned was that the guy that was there had a very, very high IQ uh, and a very, very low EQ. Uh, So what's the difference between the raw intelligence that we have, which when we think about in terms of IQ and then EQ, the emotional intelligence that we have, when you set up EQ, we think about it really in terms of four different areas, and you can think of it as a grid. 
Um, first of all, it's starting by understanding and knowing your own emotions. It's being able to recognize that when emotions start to well up within you, that you are aware that it's happening. And then what, how do you respond to those things? So then the second piece to that comes knowing them, but then the second piece comes with managing them. Because if you know and you can feel your emotions, then you can manage those emotions. Um, the, the third piece of that then is, can you pick up the emotions in other people? So can I read what's happening to other people that they're getting upset or they're happy or they're sad? And then the fourth piece of it is, can I manage those? So it's knowing and managing your own emotions and then knowing and managing other people's emotions. In the example that I shared with the programmer, this programmer was great at the knowledge of what the programming was, but they really couldn't tell. When I was bringing up an idea that they disagreed with, they were totally unaware that they were starting to feel upset in their own emotions. And then they weren't able to manage that. And then the upsetness came out. And then when the room kind of reacted like a little bit like, wow, they didn't pick up on that either. So they didn't really be able to respond to close the loop. So they really needed to have some help, somebody that would ride along with them uh, to really help them to be able to interface better with the team. Um, the good news about EQ versus IQ is where IQ, you can't really change your intelligence over the course of your life. You can't say, well, I'm going to become more intelligent. You have to kind of work within your intelligence. You have to play the hand that you're dealt. Um, EQ is something that you can learn and develop in your career. Um, and also, as Diana already shared, if you look for predictors of success, a lot of times we want our kids to be super smart because then they're going to be super successful. And we equate those two things. But research actually shows that there's not really a correlation between intelligence and success. But there is a very strong correlation between emotional intelligence, your EQ, and your success. So your ability to know your own emotions and to manage them, but also to know other people's emotions and pick those up and help to manage those really has a huge indicator of your success. And that's the concept that we wanted to talk about today. I think that I think that last thing that you shared there, Don, not that it all wasn't great. I loved it all. But that last thing that you shared too, when we're talking about um, uh, this quote that I've shared several times of, uh, you know, being able to give this presentation was, you, you know, your IQ is what gets you hired. Your EQ right. is what gets you promoted. Um, mm. Those types of things. I think that, I think that's, I think that's spot on. Again, emotional intelligence, one of those buzzwords, maybe things of uh, sounds kind of clinical, so to speak, uh, where, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, I don't really know a whole lot about emotional intelligence, but I bet you know something. I bet you know what it feels like and maybe what it doesn't feel like. Um, there's probably some blind spots that you have um, and, and some things that maybe you've learned, too. And, and before we start getting into the questions, I wanted to kind of just draw it out just a little bit, a little bit further and open it up for discussion here. Uh, if we're looking at this um, in the form of a grid with emotional intelligence, I'm also side note saying, recognizing we have, a, you know, about a 30 minute podcast. There's no way we're going to cover all of the facets of emotional intelligence, but hopefully we can kind of paint a picture of what this looks like. But first step, self-management. Um, and let's kind of walk through these here too. So first step is self, uh, self-awareness. I'm sorry. Self-awareness is the first step of that grid. So talking about self-awareness, what are some things that, that you could do maybe to be a little bit more aware of yourself, your emotions, but also your reactions to things too, uh, thoughts. Well, I think Matt, that the, you can start by understanding your own emotions by just noting situations that you don't think went real well. Oh, yeah. So there's moments where we're like, wow, I'm not really proud of how I handled that situation. 
or I kind of lost control a little bit there or whatever, whatever that is. If you can go back and try to think back and kind of when, when later, not in the moment, but later, uh, if you can kind of circle back and think, what was I feeling? What was impacting me uh, during that time? Yeah. You can start to think about looking forward in the future. Um, I, I think that journaling is a really good skill set for this. You know, go back and write just what happened in the situation and what you were feeling so that you can kind of relive it a little bit. Uh, but you can kind of go back and watch it in slow motion, you know, so to speak, afterwards and say, I started to feel this emotion bubbling up in me. So that in the future, when you feel that same emotion, then you can start to think a little bit about differently about how you respond to it. But that, that's kind of a later step. But first is just acknowledging, okay, when this happened, what triggered this emotion in me? And then how did I feel with it? Yeah, we're, we're talking about, you know, with, with self-awareness, taking an honest inventory of, of ourselves, right? Which can be difficult. Bethany? Yeah, I think with that, thinking about when you're thinking about, you know, times that maybe you didn't like how that went, but like, I think some good specifics with that too is thinking about times where maybe you were in just a brand new environment or situation that you've never been in, or maybe a really stressful, like, like season of transition. Like, how did you handle yourself and manage yourself in those, in those specific types of situations as well? So again, taking that that honest inventory, I think the honest is the key word there uh, uh, from that too. So recognizing the things that maybe you do well, but also the things that you don't do as well. Recognizing the the emotions that you respond to well, and recognizing the emotions that maybe I don't respond to as well. What are what are those things that that make me go one way or another? Diana, yeah, I have. I've always had trouble with this, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. And so I always like to find a trusted friend at my office to kind of give me feedback on when I'm doing something new or when I'm leading meetings or when I'm conducting interviews or something. And I have that person circle back with me and say, you know what, you did this, but your face did this and it wasn't good. Or you said this and it came off really harsh. And I think that's important to have that trusted person to kind of give you feedback. Yeah, if you want to, if you want honest feedback, you know, maybe you can find that confidant like Diana's talking about and, and get some real feedback, but be prepared for some of those responses too. Diana, you also touched on the nonverbal part of what self-awareness looks like. Mm -hmm. So are you aware of the things that you say, but are you aware of the things that you do um, as well? So you know, I don't want to belabor the, the one point there, but self-awareness then leads to this next step that we refer to as self-management. So why would you think that self-management might be difficult? Where do people struggle with the self-management part? After we've taken this inventory, okay, so these are the things that I found out. Now I get to move to this self-management piece. And just to be candid with you, this is where a lot of us maybe maybe jump off the wagon, so to speak. Um, how come? Sometimes we don't know what the next step should be. And so I think that's why, you know, to Diana's point, it's helpful to have somebody else um, who can kind of help talk you through that, not to necessarily tell you what to do, but someone who can kind of coach you through it a little bit and, and help you figure out like, what is a practical next step for that? It's not just, okay, I, I am showing up poorly in this setting, so just stop it. It's what's a practical next step. And I think that's hard for people to identify sometimes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think sometimes also we look for, we try to think like, don't put me in that situation. Like, like don't, don't confront me to that. You know, don't, if you, if you come in, if you come at me, I'm going to come back at you. And that that's, that's yielding power to other people. Like you have to think about if the situation happens, what are you going to do? And I think that's a, that's a difficult mindset to start with. 
So, so if the situation happens, which you can't control, what do you control then? And then think about your reaction to the situation. Yeah, man. How often do we blame other people for our own reactions? You know, if you wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have reacted that way in the first place. And and the reality is we are only accountable for ourselves. You know, I think some people struggle with this idea of self-management because, okay, I'll go through and take an inventory. Chances are you probably know the good things and you probably know some of the bad things. You might not have a total picture, but you probably have a decent grasp on self-awareness. Self-management requires a lot of humility to be able to take those things that, okay, these are the things that I don't do so well. How do I then, uh, what, what am I prepared to do? What do I want to do? How do I address those types of things? So I think, I think that's where a lot of people struggle is just having the humility to be able to make some changes, especially when we feel like maybe others are, are part of the reason or at fault for, for my reaction in the first place. But Bethany, what do you think? I love that. And that's something, again, like I said, I always use parenting examples because this is something that, you know, happens a lot. This is you're training your children uh, a lot of times in emotional intelligence. And so my, you know, for example, my daughter might come to me and, you know, start blaming other people for how she, for, for decisions that she's making and how she's responding and stuff like that. And so we have to have those conversations of like, okay, Okay, but what can you control? Because you can't control, you can't always control other people and you can't blame, even if that is affecting your behavior. Like, how are you going to show up and what step are you going to take? So, I mean, this is a funny example, but you know, something that, that we could say in terms of like deciding what the next step is of like, okay, I can, you know, an example might be, I keep falling asleep in meetings. So instead of saying, well, it's just a really boring meeting, <laughs> which it might be, I should probably go to bed earlier or I should bring a large cup of coffee or I should take notes in this meeting to keep my mind active or all three, you know, like that's just an example of like, here's some practical steps I'm going to take because obviously this is probably not, you know, this is not how I want to show up um, in this setting. So those are my thoughts. Yeah. And and again, that's, you know, we talked about in one of our recent episodes about that's the mature decision. That's the adult decision. And I think that plays into this too. You know, we live in this society now where it's, uh, you know, why do I have to come down to your level? Why don't you come up to my level? Or I can do what I want, right? This is, um, this, I get, I get to make my own choices, those types of things. And I think we struggle sometimes of being able to take the steps necessary to improve ourselves based on feedback or, or things from other people. The, the reality is the choice has to be yours. Nobody can make you change those behaviors. It, it, the, the, the choice is yours to do that. So the top half of the quadrant is all about self. We get into the bottom half of this quadrant and it's social awareness and relationship management. So social awareness, if, if we could set the stage, do you recognize the mood in the room? Do you recognize how people are reacting towards you? And let me paint this picture. I love to use this example. Let's pretend that it's a team meeting, right? You've been in this team meeting for at least an hour now and it is lunch time and you are hangry. Uh, you have been sitting there for a while. You're ready for this meeting to be over. The boss goes, okay, uh, everybody, um, you know, what, what, anybody else have any other questions? And you know, nobody is raising their hand because they are socially aware that if they did that, everybody's not going to like you, like you're going to get ridiculed. But then there's this one person in the corner of the room that raises their hand because they have chosen now at that point to impart all of their wisdom on the team at lunchtime, right? As the meeting is over. Um, Now, the question is, what do you think the reaction is of those people to that person? And then two, um, what are some things that, that maybe that person should have recognized 
uh, as far as social awareness is concerned. Yeah, we always like to say you can't not communicate, right? So we have to be looking for that communication. I, I promise you, even though somebody doesn't say something, that they're sending you signals. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's true. We say that right. a lot. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's part of it. Like, are you looking for those signals? Are you looking for feedback? I, I think sometimes I've seen managers lead meetings specifically meetings, because there's so much, it's like, I'm so into the agenda. I'm so thinking about what's out there. They're not really open to the feedback from the team. They're not really listening for it. And it's like looking around the room, it's super obvious. Like if I took a, if you took a video of some rooms, you know, in a moment and you were sitting there from the outside watching it, it's just so obvious. So you have to learn to take that feedback on the fly. Like how can I watch that? And how can I adjust from what I'm seeing? And some people are like, what? They didn't say anything. Oh, they said plenty. They said plenty. (laughs) I don't know if we were watching for it, but that's part of that social awareness element too is recognize you're picking up the mood in the room how you enter a a funeral is different than how you enter a birthday party Uh, they would say those types of things are you recognizing that when you walk into a room full of people and there was laughter and all of a sudden the laughter dies down when you enter some of us would slowly just back right out of the room other people would just keep going for the chips and salsa oblivious to the situation right Um, those, those types of things so that social awareness are you able to gauge the temperature in the room and then leads us to relationship management how do i then navigate that. Why is the relationship management such an important part to emotional intelligence? Diana? Well, I think, you know, to make anything work well, you have to have good relationships. So if you're going to be on teams, if you're going to be working together, if you're going to be driving productivity and safety and all of these things that make a company smooth, you have to have good relationships to do that, or at least it helps. You know, we are our relationships on our team. It's all about the relationships. It's all about the trust that we build with each other. It's about, we've talked about psychological safety, you know, it it impacts culture. It's about habits. It's about everything. So on the individual interactions that we have with each other, if we can empathize a little bit, even if you don't feel it necessarily, but you can maybe sympathize uh, instead of empathize, you can pick up some of those emotions that other people are having and you can start to build trust with each other. Um, If somebody's really upset with something, you can still try to plug through, but you're not going to be very effective in a conversation. If you take a moment to acknowledge the upsetness of the other person, suddenly you're going to find yourself having, hey, but it's going to be more effective short term. Yeah. Hey, you know, you seem to be really upset or distracted today. Are you okay? And that gives you a moment to, for the other person to kind of regroup and then come back and focus on the conversation, which is going to help the short-term conversation. But long-term, it's also going to be able to help you to share why that you care about the other person. And it's going to build trust on the team. It's going to allow people to be a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, it's going to allow for your team to, to click better to build that psychological safety. Man, I love what you said at first there when you said, we are our relationships. I mean, to me, that says that at the end of the day, was it a good day? Was it a bad day? If it was a good day, chances are your communication, your relationships, your your working relationships were, were pretty good that day. Uh, man, I, I, I love that. That was insightful. Somebody write that down. That's good. Diana. Yeah, I was going to throw myself under the bus here for a minute. Um, I am not one of those awesome. people that have, <laughs> that have a whole lot of empathy. It's just not something that I'm hardwired for. I don't get, I don't get it, right? I just don't have it. Yeah. But I had to work with someone who was very empathetic and 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 definitely more emotional and, and sympathetic than I was. And for us to work together, I had to learn how to soften myself and she had to learn how to not take everything personally. Um, and so we both worked with each other mm-hmm. to build our sort of emotional intelligence together with each other. 
And I think it made us both better people. Mm -hmm. I am definitely softer and more empathetic because I had to work so closely with her. And she definitely is better at taking criticism and and taking things at, at just sort of face value than she was. So I think it's important to do that. And I think it also makes you better when you do that, even though it doesn't feel great. Like I don't love empathy still, but I do feel better at doing it because I had to do it so much. Well, and so many of us, we don't have a choice, right? Like we have to work with teams of people or customers or also outside of work. Like we are all in, you know, probably a family where we probably don't agree with people all of the time. Um, And so we have to be able to manage, you know, manage those relationships and know how to interact well, um, even when we're not always on the same page with people or we don't feel um, empathetic towards that person. But how do we show up and, and manage those relationships um, effectively? Here's the here's the kicker. I'm going to I'm going to release pressure from a lot of people by by saying this. And Diana, you reminded me of this. Emotional intelligence does not mean I have to feel the same way that somebody else does. I love that. I don't have to share their feeling. Um, I just need to recognize that they, in fact, do feel that way, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't have to feel angry if you're angry. I don't have to feel sad if you're sad. I just need to recognize that you feel that way. And if we are right. empathetic to you feeling that way, that's not mean I have to join you in that feeling. But I, but a big part of that and a big part of the relationship management is recognizing that, that, that they do. Um, and I think that releases a lot of pressure for the people, Diana, like you're saying, I'm just not an empathetic person. You don't, you don't have to be to also have a high EQ, right? You just have to have recognition that somebody else in fact does. Uh, and that's that, you know, humble leadership there too. I think the first time I saw the concept of emotional intelligence, frankly, I kind of rolled my eyes at it. Like, oh my gosh, it's going to be about touchy feely feeling of other people, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, it's just, we have to be able to really think about other people. But it really was, I think the way to look at it is you can look at the world two ways. You can look at them as, look at the world as a series of events that happen to you mm-hmm. that sometimes you're lucky and good things happen, or sometimes you're unlucky and bad things happen. Uh, and it, you're just waiting for the lucky things to happen, right? But I think what the cool thing about emotional intelligence is, is that it shows you that while these things that do happen to you, and we're all going to have strings of good luck or bad luck, good things that happen to us, bad things that happen to us. What emotional intelligence teaches us is that ultimately at the end of the day, the most effective thing for us to do is to acknowledge how that makes us feel and others feel, but then that we can act on that, not depend on somebody else to act on it, but we have the power to make to act. And therefore, and, and the, then the research shows that when we think that way, we're more effective. Your success truly is in your hands uh, and it's based on, but it's, but it's going to be based on how you interact with other people at the end of the day. Yeah, I, that reminded me, Don, because there's there's a really good example of high emotional intelligence in um, the movie The Pursuit of Happiness. If you've seen that, that's a really great movie. Um, and, and just talking about the idea of basically, you know, it's, you know, is life a series of, of things that are happening to me? Am I a victim? Am I living in that? And is that how I'm showing up in the world? Um, and I think that what's really cool about, you know, that character, Chris um, Gardner in that movie is that, you know, a lot of bad things did happen to him. And he was, I mean, there was just a lot of terrible things that are happening to him, but he had so much, he just made the decision 
decision that that's not going to be what defines his life, right? And so he shows up in ways, you know, where he is managing himself um, and, and he shows a lot of commitment and empathy and, and he has these, you know, really great social skills and is able to read a room and know how to kind of interact with people who may not know his whole story, right? Um, he's building those relationships with people and, and is kind of able to overcome those circumstances. And so I think that is a huge part of it. And I, and I just love that example of, of emotional intelligence and how that's played out. You know, that answers one of the next questions here too, is what do I do to strengthen my emotional intelligence? And what you're saying is, first of all, it's the recognition that I do have. Okay, so maybe maybe not all the cards were dealt in my favor. This is the car- These are the cards I'm playing with. These are, these are my reactions to things. These are This is my honest inventory of me. What do I want to do about it? Um, I can do some things. I don't have to do all the things. I can start small. Uh, those types of things. I can have an emotional intelligence mentor, you know, to help coach me or guide me. I think that's been brought up a couple of times. Any other thoughts on what I can do to strengthen my own emotional intelligence? It really takes some deliberate practice. Like you really have to focus on it. You have to take some, you have to take stock of the moments that you don't like how you respond and then like really circle around and think about how did I respond? Let me go back. Uh, let me replay. Let me understand that situation better. And I, I think it's really good to do this with somebody else. I yeah. think this is one area that finding somebody that you can work with to help give you some feedback, somebody that knows you, somebody that's not afraid to tell you, uh, tell you, you know, when you're, you're doing well, or you're not doing well, that you really can trust that you can talk to and say, Hey, this situation came up. Why did I really respond that way? Help me to talk through it and understand it. And then, then I reacted this way. Why did I react this way? What do you think the other people were thinking? How could I have responded differently? And then you can learn from the mistakes that you make. That's great. Diana? Yeah, I also think another good way to strengthen that is to just sort of people watch and start to look at how other people react to the things that are going on in a room. And when you are able to people watch without interacting, then you can transfer that to when you are in a meeting and you can kind of read a room better because you've done so much observation and and studying pre-meeting, you know? I think it takes a while to learn how to see what people are feeling in the moment. And so if you can observe a lot and then transfer that to when you're actually part of things. I think that helps too. Yeah, I was thinking of the example that Don was talking about earlier, you know, how somebody, you know, this this one person spoke up and said something and it was pretty, you know, it, it felt more brash. <laughs> and then the other person was able to step in and say, you know, I think what he's trying to say is, and I think also just being aware of that, do people have to do that a lot for you? Do people have to kind of be your translator in some ways to a room? And I think just being able to acknowledge and recognize that and also just watching like that to Diana's point of like people watching to some extent of watching when that happens in other situations you know, so that there's some kind of level of emotional intelligence in the room who is doing that. Um, and that might be a good person to to kind of keep an eye on and say, oh, you know, recognize that they are they probably have a lot of high emotional intelligence. And and so they might be a really good one to keep an eye on to learn from. Matt is often my translator. I usually say things like, I'm going to say this really harshly, and then Matt will say it nicely. And so <laughs> he's my emotional translator a lot. Yeah, what what Diana is trying to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll wait for you to stop crying and then I'll tell you what she was trying to say. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's, I think, another question that we want to talk about is like, how do you confront people about their emotional intelligence, about their EQ? And it can be really hard. And so I think the answer from, from my perspective is gently because they, one, if they're not asking for that feedback, I think you have to, the chances are they don't even know that they're showing up in a weird way in those situations. So just helping people understand those unspoken rules, right? And so making sure that you're doing that in a gentle and kind way to say like, you know, these are kind of the the rules of the of the game or the room or whatever. Um, and and being able to do that eloquently. Well, and part of your own emotional intelligence might be recognizing that it's not your job to tell them where they're failing yeah. either. Yeah, good point. good point. And sometimes people lack the emotional yeah. intelligence to not instill their will uh, there too. So I think I think you know emotional intelligence, being able to confront other people about their emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. I think it has to start with vulnerability of that person to want to change. Otherwise, I'm not sure how much, True. how, how, how uh, fruitful that conversation is going to be. I'm not sure I would use the term emotional intelligence too when confronting somebody. Like you need to improve your emotional intelligence. Yeah. I think it's first. Of all, yeah. Did you not like how that situation occurred? Right. Like, how did you feel about that? And do you think you could do better on it? And let's uh, mm-hmm. circle back on it. And then you can kind of slowly introduce that EQ concept. Yeah. All right. So lots, lots to talk about. I said it up front that we're probably not going to get through the entire topic of emotional intelligence all in 30 minutes there. But um, but it's an extremely important topic. I would also say that, you know, maybe later we, we can circle back and, and get a little bit more granular with each one of these different quadrant parts. I think there's there's a lot of meat left on the bone, so to okay. speak, with with several of those two. So do you recognize how people are responding to you? Can you pick up on the mood of the room? Here are some ways to begin to understand your EQ. One, take an honest inventory of yourself and how you show up. Two, think about a situation that didn't go really well and try to learn from it. Journal it out and acknowledge how you felt in that moment. Three, talk to people who are close to you that you trust and just get some honest feedback. Four, determine your next steps for managing yourself and your emotions. Once you've kind of done your homework and acknowledged how you really show up in social settings, do the next thing. Determine your next steps and manage yourself and your emotions. For example, if you have a hard time remembering people's names, maybe try taking a class in word association. Find those practical next steps. Hope you enjoyed today's topic. Next, we want to hear from you. We know that you have all kinds of questions. You're dealing with teams and people every day, and that can be difficult. We want to hear what your unique challenges are, um, and we'd love to address those in future episodes. So email us at morethanworkpodcast at peopleccg.com. Hey, if you really enjoyed today's episode, why don't you just share it? Share it with some friends, with some coworkers, and don't forget to follow and subscribe and also rate our podcast if you have that option. We will talk to you soon. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a great day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time, and in the meantime, lead well.